Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I don't even like the song that's the song of the day. I just heard it and I can't get it out of my mind. Oh, you're not a big fan of today's song of the day, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to hear what that is in moments. Should Maybe. I switch the song of the day? Whose name's that on that banner? <laughs> it doesn't say Dr. Doobie on there, does it? <laughs> no. It does not say the doctor. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, January 14th. It's just moments away. But before we get into this, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like... The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. No, Ben, not Aerosmith. Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, sponsor this program. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show for Tuesday, January 14th, is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. I learned the truth at 17... I don't like this song. I can't stand the fact that it's in my head. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, January 14th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Duke-Masova, will join us. We welcome President of Planned Parenthood, Illinois, Jennifer Welch. And it's the return of campaign strategist, Lori Glenn, with Juanita Irizarry of Friends of the Parks. And now your host. I'd say he's a, oh, sorry. I'd say he's a friend of the park. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Fall in Line Tuesday, and here's why. Good week. You have a good weekend, D? Yes. <laughs> well, you caught me off guard. I know you had a uh, Popeye's chicken sandwich. Oh, my God. I love that thing. Yeah. I still haven't had one of those things. And plus, you had cookies at Subway. Okay. Can we not <laughs> reveal that much, please? Uh, I love those cookies at Subway. I'm Now I'm so hungry. I just, like three for a dollar. Oh I mean, how can you turn it down? I could just see it right in my mind's eye. Anyway, I saw the, the movie 1970. Have them warm up the cookies at Subway. Oh, man. That's good right there, huh? Whoa. Hey, can you warm these up, please? Thank you. They can do that? They have a microwave, right? God dang, man. How come I didn't think of that? I love Subway, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So, oh, thank you, uh, Robert Mueller. Uh, I saw the movie 1917. Excellent flick. Oh, a movie about the year you were born. <laughs> Oh, I I'm walked sure that into was a that one. one for you. Oh, I remember the truth. I, I learned the truth at 17. That's 1917. Anyway, good flick. Uh, it's a war movie, but here's the thing, D. Right, just follow me on this one. I'm going to tangent with it a tangent. The whole thing about this movie is that it's done in one shot. They don't cut. So in other words, the camera follows the action. 
And so you know how in a normal movie, like let's say you and I are having this conversation, so the camera would be on you, then they'll cut to another camera that's on me, and then they stitch it together. In this movie, it's just one camera following the action. It's really freaky. I loved it. Anyway, Great Flick, 1917. Uh, and uh, I woke on Monday. It was raining and railing all day. I think I did this to you about the outrage of the Oscars. We're going to have an Oscar special segment on it. But uh, Adam Sandler, my beloved Sandman, got totally screwed. Did not get nominated. Eddie Murphy, I love. there's a bias against great comics. Eddie Murphy should have been nominated. J-Lo should have been nominated. The little kid from Jojo Rabbit should have been nominated. The Safdie brothers, Aquafina, they all got screwed. Man, too many nominations for Scarlett Johansson. Anyway, but that's not what I want to talk about. Scarlett Johansson is pretty good. She's good, but come on, two nominations? I mean, and the two popes, each actor in the two popes gets nominated? I They went out of their way to screw Adam Sandler. Quote me on that one, all right? You can quote me on that one, D. Poor Adam Sandler. Poor Sandman. I love the Sandman. Okay, and Eddie Murphy for Dolomite. Anyway, that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is the difference between Democrats and Republicans. As we head into this election year, it's important to realize this. I said this once, I'll say it again. Uh, Democrats fall in love. Republicans fall in line. Right, D? Democrats now, like, they don't, they got to love a candidate. We know this because we have many Bernie bros walk into the studio. They love Bernie, right? But when you talk about another candidate, like, I'm not quite sure I'm for Elizabeth. Elizabeth Warren, they'll go into like these minute details about Elizabeth Warren, which why they can't support Elizabeth Warren because they love Bernie so much. And by the way, Elizabeth Warren, people the same way. Now they're mad at Bernie about some conversation that may or may not have happened between the two of them in 2018 over uh, whether Bernie said a woman couldn't get elected president or not. I mean, so now they're mad forever. They're going to just hold a grudge forever into the it's sort of like a, a family that just can't get over something that happened in the year 1917. And at Thanksgiving in 1977, they're still arguing over it. That's how the Democrats go. Meanwhile, Republicans, they get their orders and they fall in line. And to, uh, uh, to approve this point, I'll tell you the tale of David Richter. And D, you're going to say, who's that? Good question, D. He is Republican candidate for Congress in New Jersey. I read all about this over the weekend in the New York Times. He's running against a Democratic uh, candidate named, excuse me, a Democratic incumbent named Jeff Van Drew. All right. So the Republicans thought they could knock Jeff Van Drew out. This was a district that went for Trump, but it has a Democratic congressman. Uh, everybody lined up behind uh, this Richter character. Everybody loved Richter. Trump was getting ready to endorse Richter, do one of those tweets for Richter, do one of those appearances for Richter, fly into Jersey, do a, you know, have him come on stage. And guess what happened? Jeff Van Drew, no dope, voted against impeachment, then flip. <laughs> And went from becoming a Democrat to becoming a Republican. Now Trump's excited. He loves this guy. Can't get enough of Jeff Van Drew. Trump has flip-flopped. Here's a big surprise. Trump was saying one thing one day about David Richter. Now he's saying something completely different. He's going to invite uh, Jeff Van Drew. I think he actually invited Jeff Van Drew to the White House. He's going to fly into Jersey for Van Drew. He's going to send out tweets in favor of Andrew. All of a sudden, Republicans in New Jersey who were supporting Richter, flip-flop. Now they're for Jeff Van Drew. Wouldn't it be crazy if his name was Andrew Van Drew? Well, that'd be weird, right? Whoa. Oh, my God. 
Man, I could see you've been enjoying the legal cannabis. Anyway, ooh, what was that? It's a phone. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me this morning. I haven't talked about this in a while, D. Uh, do you remember that I've talked about this in the old days? Bewitched, the TV show Bewitched. Oh, I yes, talk about this yes, all the time. Yes, tight millennials. <laughs> as we know, the, the star of Bewitched. Got a lot of 2020 content coming up today. <laughs> Don't worry. Go ahead, Bewitched. Uh, Bewitched was Darren, and Darren was, well, no, the star was the, the what was her name? I don't, Samantha, I think. Uh, very right? good. Samantha? Samantha, I think. Like he doesn't own the entire complete soul. <laughs> DVD collection of Bewitched, and he hadn't watched it 20,000 times. I don't know. I think her name is. My nickname back in the day was Dewitched, because I loved it so much. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's correct. I, now we're going to call you to one, we'll add another nickname to the list. He's no longer Dr. Doobie. He's dewitched. Anyway, so uh, uh, Samantha was married to Darren, who was in the advertising business, and they would have a client come in. This was a standard uh, a satire, satirical bit about the advertising uh, profession. They have a client come in, and Darren would put out the uh, what promotional ad they were coming up with, and his boss, Larry's first reaction, right, reading the scene was like, oh, I don't like that. Oh, that's not good. And the You know we're on the internet, right? 2020. Yeah. Internet. Yeah. You know, oh, not so, AM radio. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> the witch talk is perfect for AM radio. You know, the days before you were fired. Oh, yeah. I was fired, wasn't I? Well, hey, go ahead. Bewitched. So anyway, uh, so then uh, Darren would say, this is my presentation. And Larry, the boss, would say, that's terrible. I hate it. And then the uh, client would go, I like it. At which point, Larry would immediately say, you know what? I like it, too. And that's how Republicans are with Donnie Trump. Oh, Larry. Uh, they'll say, uh, I love David Richter. Donald Trump will say, no, I'm for Jeff Van Drew. And the Republicans will immediately flip-flop and go, I love Jeff Van Drew. So that is the Republican Party. They fall in line. They do whatever the boss say. Donald Trump says jump. They say how high. Democrats, meanwhile, are like, I don't like him. He's mean. I don't like her. She's mean. I will only vote for him. I won't vote for her. No wonder you lose all the time, Democrats. You always fall in love. Still holding these ancient grudges from the year 1917. Get over it, Democrats. Man, that thing between Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. I'm going to be talking about that all day. He said this. I didn't say it. Yes, you did. No, you didn't. That's how, there you go. Going into the debate. There you go. Fighting over what Bernie may or may not have said in a conversation that was supposedly off the record in 2018. No wonder Democrats always lose. They just think they're perfect. And if everybody's not perfect just like them, forget it. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> Except for uh, Governor <laughs> Governor Pritzker admits he's not perfect. All right, we got a great show today, every everybody. Maya Tomasova's coming in, and she's got a few things to say about the whole Bernie Elizabeth thing. I can't wait to hear that. Jennifer Welch will be here from Planned Parenthood. They got a big fundraiser coming up. Juanina Irizarry and Lori Glenn. They're sort of like kind of know-it-alls. You know, they are know-it-alls in their own way, right? They know, you know, like we talk about the political know-it-alls, uh, Jacob Kaplan and Danny P, the Northwest Side know-it-alls. We had the South Side know-it-alls until one of them just was, he knew everything except how to get to the studio in time. We'll bring him back. Uh, I don't hold a grudge like uh, Elizabeth Warren's. He said something mean. I hate him. <laughs> Bernie bros. They did something bad 15 years ago. I'll never vote for him again. Democrats. Anyway, Juanita Rosario and Lori Glenn, we in the studio. We're talking all the politics of the day. But before we do any of that, the young man from Alton, the man they call Dr. Doobie with the news.
How's it going, everyone? Oh, wait, this just in. Elizabeth Warren has tweeted. It says here, Bernie Sanders is a no-good son of a... Whoa, hey, oh, hold on. Can't talk about that. Uh, I love Wendell's tweets. How's it going, everybody? Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Our Democratic Illinois governor is no longer a rookie. And for the record, I love puppies. <laughs> yes. J.B. Pritzker is now into his second year as the governor. Number two. Yep, number two, <laughs> second year. And if we've learned anything from year number one, it's that he loves signing legislation. And my God, does he love hanging out in the city of Chicago and the Thompson Center. Don't expect anything new in 2020. And to our downstate listeners, no, you did not just see J.B. Pritzker pumping gas at your local filling station. Just some portly fella wearing a suit not jb pritzker no today governor jb pritzker is in chicago at the thompson center signing legislation today he signed a law accelerating the multi-year senior homestead exemption oh good that's good get a little break for taxpayers property taxpayers good as for our Chicago mayor today, Lori Lightfoot was at the O'Hare International Airport, and I hope TSA got the memo because that comically giant pair of scissors will be going through the airport today. <laughs> we got a ribbon to cut, baby! She was present for the opening of a new police facility at the O'Hare International Airport. All right. Now we transition into actual news. On Monday, Mayor Lori Lightfoot announced that she is looking to beef up security in the voting booth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just in time for the Illinois primary, Chicago voters can expect to see updated voting machines hmm. that election officials have said will provide more security in the March primary election. Lightfoot is looking to spend roughly $19 million on new touchscreen voting machines. This newfangled 21st century technology will generate a paper ballot that voters will feed into ballot readers when they're done voting. Well, I like paper ballots. We should go to all paper ballots. How about that? Okay. Yeah. All paper ballots, says Ben Jarofsky. Old days, old schools, better in the old days, all right? Maybe it took a little longer, but uh, I had more confidence uh, in the validity of it, so... The old guy bounce. wants to go to the old days, guys. <laughs> Whoa. Did I tell you about Bewitched? <laughs> Please, yeah. Keep keep these millennial listeners I going. like it. <laughs> oh, those Republicans. Under the spending plan, Alderman advanced Monday, the $19 million will be transferred from an already existing no. $69 million city program. Uh -oh. A program once championed by our former mayor, oh, Rahm no. Emanuel. Take a chill pill, man. <laughs> The Smart Streetlight Program. What, Jarofsky, your what is smart about a streetlight? Mike, we got to bring Mike Novak back in, and that's our environmental expert. Remember, he was going on and on about streetlights, how bright they are. Good friend of mine, Keith, was doing this the other day on, on Facebook. What up, Keith? He was saying, they're too bright. And my wife was, they're too bright. So that was Mayor Rahm's thing. So now she's taking the money that Mayor Rahm had earmarked for streetlights and spending it on computers. Is that correct? She's taken 19 out of the already 69 million. Ah, folks in Chicago, you know, you put the money here, you take it from there, you spend it there, you know, but nobody's really paying attention anyway. You have a clip of ribbon, everyone's happy. Mm, I'm very skeptical about this, D. I have actually not seen this particular story because I get my news on the 24-hour cycle Boy, from newspapers. it really help if you would uh, look online for that news, especially, you know, I don't know, being the host of a podcast. I don't know, that'd probably help. And then tomorrow will be in the newspaper, like yeah. the real thing. And I'll come in, D, D, man, you see this story? Uh, I saw it yesterday on the internet. Very similar to how on Tuesdays, D, how was your weekend? 
No one cares anymore. By the way, did I tell you I saw 1917? Great flick. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I... uh, I'm going to have to take a deep dive in this one, folks. Whenever mayors start taking money from pile A and spending it on pile B, I get a little nervous. I did that with the TIF program. Remember the money that was earmarked uh, for a basketball arena and a hotel in the South Loop? Somehow or other got spent on Navy Pier. How about that? Oh, well, you don't care. You already We already raised your property taxes uh, for this TIF slush fund, so we're going to spend it over here. Yeah, don't follow the bouncing ball. All right. And since we're already talking about the March primary elections, hey, listeners, who are you voting for in the primary? Not sure? Well, listen up, because the following primary candidate updates may give you a better clue. First up, a local update involving the 2020 presidential Democratic primary. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Rachel Hinton. And to all of our completely clueless voters who just (laughs) show up and vote for the first name they see on the ballot, still not sure if you guys exist. But we have your pick for president in the primary. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar has sealed the first spot on the Illinois primary election ballot yes now this uh is dedicated to this whole issue of who gets the first position on a ballot or the last position is rooted in the notion that you the voters are not bright okay that is what the prevailing view of the people who run the city of chicago the state of illinois actually uh both parties really republicans believe this too they believe you're stupid they believe you're lazy they believe you don't pay attention so you have there's two things here one you'll vote for the first name you see whether you recognize it oh well she must be good she's the first on the ballot i'll vote for her <laughs> okay or you vote for the last person you see oh this is hard <laughs> who's the first person thank you i gotta go i <laughs> Sort of like me taking the ACT. Oh, God. Uh, you know, I'm just going to start poking holles in this that thing. That was me taking the ACT. Uh, get me get out of here. That's a Chicago voter or an Illinois voter. Any voter, really. I'm uh, just going to. Amy Klobuchar, that looks good. Uh, I think I heard of that name, Amy. There's a song called Amy. Amy, I'm in love with you. And so I'll vote for Amy Klobuchar. So they think you're an idiot. That's what they think. The other thing is, this was explained to me, go, no, Ben, it's not that they we think the voters are idiots. Let's hear this spin. This is the other spin. This is not as bad. It's not that we have such a low regard for them. It's just that if there's more than two names on a ballot, follow me on this one, folks. It's easier for you, the dim-witted voter, to find the name that you want if it's first. So like five names. Oh, God, I'm confused. There's five names. I can't do it. I'll just, oh, there's, huh, it's up there. It's the first name. Oh, wait, what did I show up here for again? (laughs) They have such a low regard for you people. They think you're idiots and dimwits. And by the way, as I said many times, it's hard for me to argue with it when I look at some of the people you voted for and have elected, okay? So they make a compelling point, especially when I look at the the, the results of the 2015 mayoral race when the people of the city of Chicago thought, hmm, I think I'll reelect Mayor Rahm Emanuel even though he has buried evidence of a murder. So uh, anyway, and he's closed schools and he's insulted people. Oh, I'll vote for him anyway. I'm a Chicago voter. So that's why they have a low opinion of you because you keep voting for them. Anyway, that's why it's so important, Amy Klobuchar, to have that number one position. So once again, clueless voters, Amy (laughs) Klobuchar just did all the work for you. She's the first one on the ballot. Just hit that and you can go home. Uh, The rest of the ballot includes former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick. Yeah, I I can't believe he's still running. He was the one who 
jumped into the race. At some point, he thought it was a good idea to jump in the race because it looked like Democrats weren't rallying behind anybody. And now he's stuck running. I, I mean, nobody's talking about Deval Patrick. No. You so know? He's second on the ballot, yeah. uh, followed by Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, former Vice President Joe Biden and former mayor of New York, a.k.a. Ben's favorite, Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren follows next. Uh, then ex-mayor of South Bend, Indiana, also Ben's favorite, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> then hedge fund manager Tom Steyer, followed by entrepreneur Andrew Yang, took the sixth uh, through ninth spots on the ballot. All uh, those people there. Those who uh, those whose campaigns weren't in line on the first day will round out the bottom of the ballot. That includes Colorado Senator Michael Bennett. He's in the still running. Spot. He's still running. Uh, dang. Michael Bennett in the tenth spot, followed by former Maryland Rep John Delaney. He's still running. He's still running. Oh my goodness. And Tulsi Gabbard. Oh yeah. And Cory Booker dropped out of the race on CB. Monday. So is he on the ballot? Are they take him off the ballot? Dropped out of the race. I thought Tulsi had dropped out too. No, no. Nope. She's still running. Nope. I saw Tulsi weigh in. We're going to talk about this with Maya on the the great spat between uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren's pretty desperate here. Uh, she's dredging up this conversation from 2018. But Tulsi Gabbard weighed in. I don't know if you saw that. You see that, D? Tulsi Gabbard uh, weighed in and said I she, that she had had a conversation with Bernie uh, uh, about running for president. She had told, I think Tulsi supported Bernie back in 2016. Did she not, Dennis? I think she did. So she, mm -hmm. she felt compelled to talk to him about her candidacy, even though she had supported him in 2016. She was going to run and, uh, this time around. And uh, she claims that he was a perfect gentleman about it and just said good luck and never said anything about uh, women can't win. So uh, anyway, you know, Democrats, I love to fight. All right, so there you are. That's the local news there. Uh, we also got some Kim Fox news to talk about as well. Ooh. Let's just get that out of the way now. Uh, Kim Fox has cleared the first round of political election hell. She's powered through her petition challenges and will, in fact, be on the March 17th primary ballot. Anything you'd like to say? Yeah, I wasn't surprised. Uh, we talked about this at Jacob Kaplan, the executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party there, of course, supporting Kim Fox. He was very confident, very cocky. Remember, they go, oh, she'll make the ballot then. Yeah, no problem. About it. Uh, and uh, so these are the games people play with uh, getting on the ballot and uh you know the libertarian me says just let everybody run uh just have a filing fee to cover expenses uh this uh, this games we play where we kick people off we have these crazy uh rules governing the, the petitions they have to have every i has to be dotted and t cross is a bizarre uh collection of rules and regulations governing how you're supposed to fill out the the petition if you if you miss anything if you trip up they could knock you off the ballot throw out your signatures uh so i don't know i think it's a, a strange way of go going about business uh, and uh, I, I had no, I had, I would have been really surprised if Kim Fox uh, had been knocked off. And as you know, uh, Robert Fioretti was the person who challenged her petitions. Bob Fioretti, the former alderman of the second ward, uh, so he obviously was really hoping that uh, if she were knocked off, he would have a chance of winning. Looks like she's going to win re-election, so, or at least get to the uh, next stage. So, as of right now, the three main candidates, as you mentioned, Bob Fioretti, former mayoral candidate and candidate for a lot of things, apparently, right? He's ran for a lot of stuff. Uh, he also is a runner. Oh, uh, just in a general, literal I runner. think. I think Bob Fioretti just likes running, just <laughs> physically. I didn't know he was in a general, runner. Oh yeah, yeah. I just felt like running. Uh, I uh, I did not know that. Um, yeah, he ran. Let's see if I could do this. He ran for uh, Cook County Board President. He ran. Well, he was he ran for uh, Alderman. He's the Alderman of the Second Ward. 
Uh, he ran for mayor. I think he's run for mayor twice. Am I correct yeah. on that, Maya? Uh, and now he's running uh, for state's attorney. Did I forget anything? Cook County Board President, Mayor twice, that's three, uh, and now uh, State's Attorney, four. I think yeah. four different things since he's been alderman, so he likes to run. Mm-hmm. Has he won any of them? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Oh, well, he was the alderman of the uh, second ward. And I always say this when I mention Bob Fioretti, I appreciate him because he gave me some inside information once about the TIF program that was very helpful to me. So don't say anything bad about Bob Fioretti. All right, I won't. I won't. <laughs> he can now focus on the race between him and uh, Kim Fox. And also, let us not forget our new candidate and my favorite guilty pleasure of 2020, Bill the Bro Conway. <laughs> He's a bro. Bill the Bro. How can I ask Maya to weigh in on this? The difference between a bro and a hipster. I'm very so there you are. About that. We'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Don't go anywhere because, as you see, live streamers, Maya Dukmasva is here, and we are ready to talk all things local, national, all things politics. It's The Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. I Live. love that you have audio of this. <laughs> Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. That, uh, Dennis is really good at his job, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that is a clip from an interview that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot conducted with Hillary Clinton. How and did Chelsea. you and go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. <laughs> Was it? Good question. What that a great entire question. Event, that entire event was so excruciating. It was so bad. We talked about it. It was a great Maya ref. There's some great Maya refs comes in this show, mm-hmm. and she just refs. She's got mm-hmm. ready one about uh, uh, Iran and government lying. We'll get into that one. Uh, and uh, uh, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and the Democrats and how they love to have fights over stupid things. Uh, we'll get into that one. Uh, bros versus hipsters. She has some passionate feelings about that one um but we have to promote something which one what are we going to promote right now we're going to promote our february show at the hideout so folks uh i know you've been just waiting with bated breath uh because we had to cancel the january show because the hideout had to do some repairs in their in their bar uh so the february show will be on um february 2nd first tuesday no second i think or third? it's the fourth fourth yeah it's the first tuesday of the month so uh, you know yeah, everybody at look, look, look at so yeah the fourth so yeah. february 4th first tuesday of february we're gonna have uh brandon johnson cook county commissioner and uh alderman carlos ramirez rosa joining us on the show to talk about Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Um, Carlos Rosa is a delegate for Bernie Sanders uh, for the state of Illinois. And uh, 
and Brandon Johnson is a delegate for Elizabeth Warren. So they both feel passionately about their candidates of choice for this presidential election. And um, we're going to we're going to, you know, sort of as proxies for these campaigns, we're going to grill them about various positions and, and really try to get a sense of where where the common ground and where the serious disagreements are. I mean, I personally, my biggest question for for uh, these camps is, you know, what what is what would be the harm in joining forces? I've still not heard a really good argument about what 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 these candidates would have to lose if they if they join forces. And it always feels a little bit just overextended and strained and a reach the when, when differences between these campaigns are articulated, the things that they claim to be in the ways in which they claim to be so different from one another. Um, just I don't know. There just seems to be so much more in common than there is uh, than than there is of a difference. And I mean, this is a good segue into what what's this news that came out today about allegedly Bernie saying that a woman can't be president in 2020. Uh, this is the Elizabeth Warren's campaign has put this out yeah. there that he they had a meeting where he said this at some they had a ago. conversation in 2018 mm-hmm. and where i presumably elizabeth warren was letting bernie sanders know that she was running mm-hmm. and asking him whether he was going to run again that, that kind of conversation that candidates have they're known yeah. to have that uh and try to figure and elizabeth warren is alleging that during that conversation bernie sanders told her uh that the the people of this country will not elect a woman as president. And um, so the Elizabeth Warren's people have put that out there um, as an accusation to show what? What are they trying to show with that well, accusation? Well, it's like to, to, to cast aspersions on Bernie Sanders and to, to make him look bad. This is like a, you know, uh, just like a kind of a, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything... Uh, that it's good that he said this or that he's right or whatever if he did say it but it's just like bringing this up is is not is not it like it's an attempt to discredit his campaign I suppose but I don't know it's just kind of sad to me because this is not what's going to get either of them elected like it's not going to hurt him so significantly that he'll lose that you know, some people would take the statement and say, oh, he hates women or whatever, which I think that I would I mean, I would have imagined that the the statement was probably a more pragmatic observation. I mean, if he made it at all, if he made it at all. Right. Like, I mean, there must be some there. He had he probably had some reasoning for why he thinks that a woman can't win in 2020. Uh, the you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> on the other hand, like. It can very well backfire with Elizabeth Warren's people for putting this out there in a way, you know, to, to try to cast aspersions in him, but in, in in a kind of very tenuous way. It just, it all, like, it's sad that this is what it's coming down to. Because mm-hmm. apparently she was fine with it for two years. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that conversation was, yeah, yeah, I mean, it didn't bother her that yeah. much. And I have not had a sense that they had a, a gen- kind of a... G- gender gendered animosity in between them yeah, you know i feel like we were on the high road and now we just yeah hit the and road. it's like what we you know and mean, in the meantime like this isn't helping either of them well the and in defense of elizabeth warren uh 
I don't even know what I'm about to say is a defense of Elizabeth Warren in in the in the tit for tat that's going on in Iowa right now between these two campaigns. It all this began where uh, Bernie Sanders uh, supporters had these talking points, which is it's funny. If you ever worked on a campaign, they give you talking points because, again, the, the, the estimation of the voter is so low and the estimation of the person, even the supporter is so low that they're so concerned if you leave deviate. That you know what I mean? Their talking point for one moment, you'll lose everything. So they had this talking point where they were bashing uh, Elizabeth Warren, saying she was the candidate of the elites. And so when that emerged as, um, in the middle of Iowa, the Warren people were outraged. Uh, Bernie Sanders said, I knew nothing about it. That started this fight. And that's when Elizabeth Warren came back and said, oh, you know, we had this conversation two years ago. So in other words, there they're like yeah, it's also just like oh, it's so stupid. Candidate of the elites. What candidate isn't the candidate of the elites? I mean, even populists are can't are like. What does that mean? The candidate of the elites. The elites like them. The elites always like. The, the, there's always elites liking all of the candidates. You know, uh, there there were there were elites that were all about Donald Trump too. I mean, I mean, like you know, it's the whole myth that this this was like some big working class uprising that got Donald Trump elected. The money and the campaign and all of that stuff ran on, you know, people the, the, bros. To your point, you know, <laughs> there were there were all kinds of college educated bros and and white women, college educated white women. Got Donald Trump elected, so I don't know what the, what that means that she's a candidate of the elites. It's I mean it's just like it's just like a sh- I don't know maybe that's supposed to be persuasive. My uh, guess is d- d- what d- it's a kind of elitist to think that this would be a persuasive argument to yes. people in Iowa, just assuming that there that people were going to have some kind of knee jerk reaction to that. I don't know. Well, I assume that every campaign, I do not know this for a fact, but I assume that every campaign uh, has some done its focus group research and they've come away from those focus groups with some general themes uh, that if they promote will benefit them, either promote by benefit them by promoting their themselves in a certain accentuating a certain positive thing that people have, let's say, about Bernie Sanders or the counter help their campaign by undercutting the other candidate by uh, accentuating negative points that the focus group has said about him. Yeah. I, so my guess is that both the Sanders campaign and the Elizabeth Warren campaign have done this. And, the real, and they really should be focusing on Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg. Their whole entire messaging and, and undercutting tactics should be aimed there. That's their, that's the real, that's their real opponents. Elaborate on well, that. Well, I mean, like, look, like what these candidates have more in common than they do having a difference. And it doesn't benefit their wing of the Democratic Party for them to be, you know, squabbling. Meanwhile, I mean, people are just like swooning over Pete Buttigieg, who isn't a progressive, who's definitely in. A, he, he's definitely a candidate of the elites if there ever was one, just as much as Joe Biden is, maybe more so even. And like what? Like, it? I don't know. I like I, I feel like in the. In the in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, like it's it should be seen as a strength that there are two candidates who are espousing so many progressive policy ideas and kind of visions. And um, yeah, it's just it's just sad to see them be wasting their energy on bashing one another, you know, or casting aspersions on one another rather than focusing on people who really have meaningful differences with them and who, whose policies would be, you know, meaningfully at odds with what 
Liz Warren and Bernie Sanders' visions for the country are. Well, tonight there'll be a debate in Iowa, and uh, we'll be talking about it at length tomorrow. Samina Mustafa will be in the studio uh, to discuss it. Uh, Jackie Algy will be in the studio uh, to discuss it as well. Uh, and uh, all along, there have been predictions that um, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are going to go at each other. These are past uh, debates, Maya. Uh, my guess is, and, and all along, they proved those uh, predictions wrong by they've stood in alliance with each other following your suggestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've supported one another. Like if one said the other thing, they said, I've, I'm with Bernie on this or I'm with Elizabeth on that. So they, uh, they, they, they've been rowing together. They've been rowing together. It looks like tonight they're going to be hitting each other over the head with the oars. Mm. Uh, so that's my guess. But I was wrong the last time. I predicted they were going to go at it a couple debates ago. So we'll see about tonight. Yeah. Uh, if they decide, you know, like their strategists say, look, Elizabeth, if you want to win this Iowa caucus, you got to damage Bernie because his voters are potentially your voters. Personally, I believe that just hurts both campaigns. Yeah. Um, they need to be getting voters out. <laughs> yes. What, from what I hear, Bernie's ground game, ground game in Iowa has been really good that they're really focused well, on on canvassing and voter registration i mean like get vo- voter outreach and get out the vote efforts all right uh anyway so we'll have more con- uh talk about this as uh tomorrow's show and uh we'll be hyping this event february 4th at the hideout first tuesday carlos ramirez rosa uh representing uh, the bernie sanders view and brandon johnson representing elizabeth warren should be a lot of fun and they An are embarrassment of riches for yes. progressive politics. Yes. And and that night, uh, two very smart uh, progressive politicians were quick on their th- uh, feet. It should be a lot of fun. I hope if- there's a lot of lakefront liberals there. Just fuming. Fuming. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg fans just foaming at the mouth. And I was thinking we should get like Ben like a like a referee shirt and like a whistle or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, hold on, guys. Hey, Al. That'd yeah. be great. Uh, yeah. I was at a restaurant yesterday uh <laughs> actually discussing Iran with with an Iranian friend of mine and mm. there was oh, next to us there were this there was this couple uh, I don't know if they were friends or a couple or what but I at one point I overheard the man saying these people were like your generation Ben they were like boomers and and uh <laughs> uh they they the the guy was like ah oh, Pete Buttigieg, that guy is so smart. <laughs> that guy is so smart. He knew he's yeah. only thirty-eight years old. He's so smart, and I was just like, God, like, ah, uh, it was just so frustrating to <laughs> to listen to this guy wax poetic and saying nothing other than that. Oh, he's so smart. This is all. This is all. This is all the ad. This is the ad. This guy is very smart. My and my friend later said to me, I should have turned around and said, Did you know his dad is a Marxist? <laughs> That is correct. Yeah. And uh, that I would have flipped up. people knew. Is he still a Marxist? I, mean, I don't know. Listen, we haven't heard a word out of him. Yeah. What, they, one they of the country's premier Gramsci scholars. Yeah. I'm, I would be shocked if he's not a Marxist anymore. Um, I have to say this about my beloved boomers. Uh, and I am a proud card-carrying member of the boomers. So they're really mad at me right now about Patty Smith. That's a whole other story, which I won't go into at the moment. But they love that Bewitched talker. Yeah, though. that was great. <laughs> talking, have you ever heard of Bewitched? It's a TV. It was a TV. I used to sh- watch Bewitched when I was a kid. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I'm Nick at Nick at Night. I uh, uh, yeah. This, this guy acts like he never watched. He loves Bewitched. He's got a Bewitched tattoo, don't you? I'm more of a new Darren guy. <laughs> Two Darrens. Yeah. That's how much he knows it. Anyway, all right, I'm not going to redo the bewitch thing, but um, it, I made this observation more than once uh, that I, my guess is that a good chunk of Pete Buttigieg support at Boomers. 
Yeah. And they just like the guy because he, another old TV reference, it's like Eddie Haskell. This is another old TV re- reference. Not too scary. Leave it seems it, all, you know, seems, seems all, seems, seems kind of progressive, but nothing that's too new. No, but, you know, old people or old people of the older persuasion love it when young people are nice to them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> people I, of the older persuasion. I like him. He's such a nice young man. And that's like boomers with Pete Buttigieg. He's such a nice young man. That's like, exactly this conversation I was overhearing. That yeah, was exactly man. the flavor. Come on, boomers, you're smarter than that. All right? God damn it. I mean, were you protesting the Vietnam War to now, like, be... To be folding over for a political candidate so that, you know, that just seems nice, seems properly credentialed. Don't get me started on boomers who protested the Vietnam War. And then voted for Reagan. Voted for Reagan. Their neck was on the line because they were facing a draft. Once the draft was over, I believe in social conservatism. I, uh, you know, and I became Reagan supporters. Unbelievable. Now they're they're voting for Mayor Pete. Well, no, they probably, well, or Donald John Trump. Anyway, uh, I'm very jaded about my fellow baby boomers. They've really let me down older in so many persuasion. ways. People of the older persuasion. All right. Uh, you had some really compelling points we were making on the phone today. We were doing our uh, our, um, our weekly uh, pre-show chat, and uh, Maya was fired up, and I was fired up as well. And uh, We've talked a lot on the show about Donald Trump's, this last week, we were talking a lot about Donald Trump's strategy, if there is such a thing, or toward Iran. What is his end game? Uh, he had the second most powerful uh, uh, leader in the Iranian government uh, executed by a drone strike about 10 days ago, unleashed all th- these uh, war of words between the two countries. Uh, and then in the aftermath, uh, the Iranian uh, the Iranians shot down a, a uh, Ukrainian airplane, killing all the people aboard. It's just like a bewildering array of news coming from that area of the world. Most people in this country have a hard time just keeping track of who's running for aldermen in their ward. It's really hard for Americans to keep track of on foreign uh, policy. That's why they're so easily manipulated, in my humble opinion, mm-hmm. um, by their government. Uh, but there's so many issues that arise uh, from this, not the least of which it's so obvious that both governments are just so willingly and free, Maya, to just b- brazenly lie about, like the Iranians lying about shooting down the airplane. Yeah. Remember, they, they wouldn't even admit, it took like three days or four days, whatever it was, before they finally fessed up that, yes, the airplane was shot down. Yeah. Uh, and instead, they said it was malfunction. They were trying to blame it on Trump. Uh, Trump's been lying all along about having reasons for having killed the Iranian general, mm-hmm. uh, making up these threats uh, to American embassies and then his his uh, representatives have to go on the Sunday news show and face questions from reporters who and it becomes really clear that there is no evidence government's lying all the time mm-hmm. uh, on both sides and it just I just feel bad really particularly bad well the Iranian people the people in Iran have to uh, or facing on the front lines facing the consequences but you know what people in Iran it's from what I hear this is again coming from uh, the conversation I was having with my Iranian friend yesterday who's like very much following all of these developments it's like it seems like the wool is really pulled 
pulled over the eyes of Americans much more effectively than the people in Iran, because the government in Iran has been undergoing a legitimate crisis, a legitimacy crisis for an extended period of time now. I mean, what there were protests against the government going on before the death of the general, pretty much you know, continuously for, for months now, right? Mm-hmm. There were, there were like, there was like the internet blackout, there were electricity outages. And I mean, we, we'd been here, that was the news coming out of Iran at the time. And, uh, people over there are used to their government lying because this like the mission, the whole thing is like set, set the machinery such that just immediately the government lies about whatever it is that's going on. And, um, what my friend was explaining to me was that like the, 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 the killing of this general was just like this tremendous like gift to this Iranian government that's going you know experiencing a crisis of legitimacy now they finally have like something to 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 kind of use for their advantage you know they have this right well gift yeah yeah, yeah. in the sense that now you know the people are mobilized this is like a big national tragedy the government has some breathing room from these protests you have like you know patriotic sentiments welling up and blah 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 and then they go and they they shoot down this plane like I mean which, which is basically a screw up. This was like a this they they screwed up and lied about it immediately. Which now I mean people now are extremely mad about this because the plane was full of Iranian full of Iranians even though there's Canadian nationals and American nationals and you know some Ukrainians too, but it was a it was a plane full of their own people. So People are pissed about that, and they're, and they're mad at the government now. And so the 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 way my friend put it, it's like the Iranian government had never climbed so high in terms of like having an ace in their in their in their hand of like something as that that can be used so effectively for their purposes than like the death of this general, the killing of this general. Like they had never ascended to a level of like something that big that they could use for their for their kind of purposes and their their political reviving their political legitimacy and all of that and it's like they just they it's like they just they just they lost it they screwed it up like royally uh for their own propaganda kind of uh purposes in on domestically so um and he said it's quite sad that uh at the end of the day they had to confess about the lie because I mean, he thinks that it's really because of the pressure from the Canadians and the Americans and probably more, most from from Justin Trudeau. So that, that that was like really the the most the most important pressure point. Um, and uh, once again, like Iran is in a position where something that's like sort of positive and that the government is being forced to t- say the truth about what happened is happening at the behest of like foreign intervention, essentially, which is like you know, the whole tragic saga of the last like 60 years is like things happening domestically that are as a result of foreign intervention. So yeah, it just seems like um, a really, uh, the whole thing is like tragic in so many ways. But what I will say is that it seems that from, from how my friend was describing the situation is that people have not, I mean, the, the the government over there is continuing to undergo a crisis of legitimacy and that people are not getting hoodwinked. Like now the death of the general has receded into the background for a lot of people because of this like horrendous, like, you know, the, the, the death of so many just regular civilians, like Iranian people um, for the sake of this conflict. So uh, I don't know. Meanwhile, over here, you know, <laughs> No, meanwhile, people are still people still think the government isn't lying to them. Well, I don't know about that. You said something and I wrote it down. 
uh, people over there are used to their government lying. In uh, most places, people are used I, to their government lying. Yes. I, I, I would say there's a sizable number of people in this country uh, who just automatically assume that their government is lying. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I try not to uh, fall victim to that, um, but it's really hard not to because we spend so much of our time, Maya, like sort of like digging at, like uh, something will happen in the world. Uh, and then there's this instinctive knee-jerk reaction that leaders have or their publicists have to like put the spin on it so that they don't get blamed. And they almost want to, rather than the truth to come out, they'd rather just have the matter recede. Uh, you, you get what I'm saying? I mean, we saw this happen, so much you talked about so much like locally with Kim Fox and Smollett Gate how she handled that it happens all the time when something embarrassing happens to an elected official there's this instinctive knee-jerk reaction to put a positive spin on it to see if they can uh, divert attention to somebody else blame somebody else shift the blame to somebody else and um reporters spend so much of their time then <laughs> digging through the rubble mm -hmm. of all the spin we, we saw this with a quan mcdonald mm -hmm. uh video like do, did we believe the official explanation of the mayor of the city of Chicago that he held back on releasing the Laquan McDonald video? First of all, that he didn't watch the Laquan McDonald video. Mm -hmm. uh, or did he hold back on it? He held back on it because what? He wanted the investigation to proceed. Did you believe that? Do people in the city of Chicago believe that? Do they believe what their officials tell them? I think we have a, a huge credibility problem in this country as well as in Iran. I think, well, yeah, but I think that the difference is that here, you don't have to just kind of be in this. You can actually find out the mechanics of the lie. Like, you, like perfect example is this thing about this rape cover-up in Champaign. Like, the... Here, there's, impos there's a possibility to obtain the email that retains that 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 makes the reference, right? And now we're watching in 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 unfold in, in front of our eyes the the people scrambling to try to make up something to cover to like just to cover their behinds on this, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, the 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 thing that's crazy is that you can watch this a million times, like this the, the, every day across states and municipalities all over this country. This kind of thing is going down, and still people are then you know. Uh, at the end of the day, when it comes election time, it's like who can give them the best commercial, <laughs> Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, you know, they're yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, or Mayor Rahm. Yeah. All you know, it's all the same milk. Nice well, marketing. Uh, yeah, we we've been talking a lot about uh, the uh, Maya's making reference to the story that broke last week. Uh, WBEZ uncovered uh, an email that was sent by uh, Michael McCain. A, 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 an ally to uh, House Speaker Michael Madigan. Uh, we talked a lot about this like, last week. We had Dan Mahopoulos from WBEZ on talking about it. But uh, in this email, it's such a convoluted, complicated story. But in this email, Michael McLean was advocating to two uh, former high-ranking aides, to Governor Pat Quinn. There's so many names in this story, Amaya. When you unpack it, you just have all mm -hmm. these. I did this for the reader. I had to write this thing for the reader about this story. And I realized there's like all these names. I was like listing the names. Anyway, so this email was written by McCain uh, to Pat Quinn's uh, former high-ranking aides to Pat Quinn, uh, advocating uh, leniency uh, on behalf of a, a gentleman who had done something wrong and was uh, 
who's being punished or about to be punished and he said he helped us with the ra uh, the rape and champagne the rape and champagne and that just this was an email that was written eight years ago <laughs> it's suddenly the the reporters dave mckinney from uh, wbz stumbles upon it like what rape and champagne how did he help you with that rape and champagne and now yeah now everybody's trying to figure Nobody quite knows what the rape and champagne uh, alludes to. Everybody's trying to figure it out. And it doesn't help that there's this, people don't really believe what the government says anyway. Right. But I mean, this, you know, uh, I think that this kind of what we're talking about, a lot of people then just like become kind of cynical and think that there's no point in participating in the process. But it's it's exactly the lack of participation that like allows us to go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's uh, it it's not it's not making anything better to not vote, to not like try to inform yourself as a voter, to do some research beyond what's being reported and like on cable news and whatever. To you can make you can make a more informed decision about things but even more importantly you know we need like access to the ballot box and there's all kinds of things that are happening people like you know these shadowy people on these emails who are not household names who aren't the face of 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 uh you know the face of these parties there there's there's all kinds of uh efforts there's all kinds of gerrymandering that happens that like is designed to keep people from having easy access and if the, and if they still care about that, that must it must still matter that people vote, you know. So um, I don't want to. I like I always I don't know after these kinds of spiels, I always feel like does that is that just gonna you know leave people feeling cynical or whatever? And I and I that's not my suggestion that that, that it's like pointless to do anything about it. The point the point is that like we are still blessed to be living in a place that has a Freedom of Information Act. Yeah where you can get these emails. And then if you sit there and say, well, it's like there's like no point in participating in the process, well, then one day they're going to curtail the FOIA laws and then we won't even know what's happening. So no, I'm with you. On you that still got to vote I, and I, go out and register people to vote. Help your elderly neighbors and your young people get to the polling places. Yeah, I'm with you 100. You preach into the choir, Maya. <laughs> I, and uh, I always I make fun of myself all the time because I stay loyal uh, in a general sense to the Democratic Party even though the Democratic Party in many instances lets me down. So in this particular instance, this gentleman, Michael McLean, uh, was operating uh, in the shadows of government. Uh, who knows how much power he had, how much authority he's had. I've had several off-the-record conversations sub subsequently from people who tell me, oh, yeah, I had a deal with McLean. In other words, he had power, he had authority, uh, and he was acting like his emissary. There was a movie that came out a few years ago, Michael Clayton, uh, starring George Clooney, and they, he's been promoted. People have told me he's kind of like a Michael Clayton character. You know, he's just, this guy just operates on the fringes and the shadows. It's a good movie, by the way, if you ever saw it. Uh, and um, so, you know, it is easy to get jaded and skeptical. Uh, and then when you see emails like this emerge where deals are being made behind that you don't know about uh, and supposedly uh, there's a chance that something like a sacrosanct is a rape uh, victim being what the story being buried perhaps because of political uh, purposes it just kind of undercuts to put it mildly whatever integrity the Democrats have or whatever validity they have and yet I still persist. Do you follow me on this one, Maya? I still persist. I still 
generally support the Democratic Party. I guess you have to have some kind of faith in the system. I mean, I'm sure that if somebody wanted to dig through this, this guy McLean has been involved with like tons of lobbying efforts to get some kind of positive legislation passed. I mean, this guy wasn't pushing Alec stuff in the state house, you know? So it's just like whatever kind of corruption and bad dealing is going on, that stuff I feel like is pretty, you know, party neutral. It could have been Republicans doing the same thing. You think Bruce Rauner's administration doesn't have any skeletons in his closet? Oh, Dennis. Uh, Dennis. I just said Bruce Rauner, Dennis. (laughs) Hey, did someone say Bruce Rauner? Yeah. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! Uh, But, but I mean, like, I guess it seems like your loyalty has more to do with the fact that, like, of the general things that get accomplished when your people are in... At the, at the wheel my loyalty to the democratic party uh, is very strange but it's deep and it's no I'm, I'm obsessed with uh, who the democrats nominate i follow it very close we talk about it in the show all the time we're gonna break down the de- i'll be watching the debate tonight we'll be breaking it down tomorrow uh i have uh it's it's almost like even though i should know better maya i never quite lose that faith and idealism uh, i just put into the next campaign. I, I've been spending a lot of time in the show talking about how, when I look back, how disappointed I am so much with how Barack Obama uh, was uh, running the country. At the, but in 2008, I was so happy. Tears of joy when oh, Barack yeah. Obama was elected. I remember that. I was in upstate New York and people were losing it over there. Yeah. I remember I was with I was with like some colleagues. Some I was like an intern at a communications office at my university. And like I was like out at a bar with some like people who were like staffers there. Like of the older persuasion. These people, actually, some of them had been from Chicago and they, they were like, they had tears in their eyes. Yeah. They were just like wrapped. And I think a lot of people felt that way. I mean, the camp people on campus were wrapped. I mean, I, yeah, it was yeah. just generally a very exciting yeah, moment. We should have kept his feet to the fire. Now I realize too many tears in the eyes and not enough pragmatism. All right. Uh, Maya Dukmasova, thank you so much. Jennifer Welch is on deck. Uh, and you will be. I know we don't want to confuse people, but you will be running a forum tonight. Yeah, well tonight for the, for the speaking of civic engagement, the clerk of the Circuit Court of Cook County, for the first time in 20 years, we're going to have a, a new clerk. So current clerk, Dorothy Brown, uh, whose job it is to, you know, keep track of like millions of boxes of old case files to uh, keep the electronics record system running to manage everything that has to do with paperwork related to the court system and our court system is the largest unified court system in the country some say even in the world um did you say millions or billions m- millions of boxes oh i thought yeah. you said billions no yes that's billion <laughs> with a b he's funny um, that yeah so so <laughs> she's not running for uh re-election perhaps because just the heat is too strong from the feds who are still alleging and investigating the 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 job selling situation in this office so now there's four candidates running we've got Richard Boykin, the former commissioner who was replaced by Brandon Johnson, mm-hmm. um, former Cook County commissioner. Defeated uh, by Brandon Johnson. Yeah, mm-hmm. b- big, uh, big fan of privatization and selling off public debt, which is very much a, you know, an, an issue in the clerk's office. There's um, State Senator Iris Martinez, who the people I've talked to in the know are, you know, don't take it too seriously that she's running. She's not raising much money. It's just kind of strange why, why she's going for this, probably just to raise her profile. Um, there is uh, Jacob Meister, who is a um, 
candidate. Uh, he's like an he's like a Fritz Kagi type in this whole story. He's like an independent attorney who's running as a progressive who like works in the court system and sort of taking the approach of like I know the real problems and uh, and uh, the last person is. Um, who was it? Boykin, Martinez. Oh, Fr- uh, 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 Cabernardi, Michael Cabernardi, who's uh, in the on the uh, board of review. So um, he's the Democratic Party's pick for this seat. Uh, not clear at all what w- you know what why he would be a better candidate than say Boykin or Martinez. Um, he the board of review is an office that employs something like a hundred people. Clerk's office employs like 1,400 people. Mm. Um, It's it's a big change. Uh, The Board of Review does not engage in the kind of work that the clerk's office does. Um, An additional challenge for at least candidates is that they'd be taken over in an office filled with employees who a lot of them got there through patronage kind of hiring. So... There's there's challenges on the technical end, on the staffing end, and so the forum tonight is hopefully going to shed some light on how these folks are going to try to approach these problems. All right, very good. Maya, thank you so much. Uh, every Tuesday on the show, Maya comes in and we talk politics. Jennifer Welsh is on deck. We're going to bring her on when we return. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago. Land cremation options dot com. <laughs> 